Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning as the NFL draft has concluded. Um, the Eagles finished their draft this weekend. So I adjust my microphone here. Um, end up with uh, a number of intriguing players. And we'll talk a lot about the draft tonight, obviously, and over the next few nights. Uh, in all, all of the next four nights here. So we will get uh, to a lot in regards to the Eagles, how this all panned out, and how you feel about the draft. And I'm really interested to get the input of you know, the audience tonight. I want to know how you feel about this draft and the overall impressions of how the Eagles came away here. I was on Thursday night after round one, but a number of interesting storylines over the last couple days, including, I mean, we'll get to this video a little later on, the the Howie Donahoe video, which I guarantee, I mean, I, I guarantee you that's how Angelo's leading the show on Monday morning. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be a story. I mean, I'll give you my take on it a little later on. Um, If you want to give your opinion of it, I'd like to hear it. Um, But, you know, doesn't look great considering the circumstances, but we'll get into it more uh, in depth a little later. But when you look at the Eagles as they come out of this draft, and we all know going into this draft, the amount of pressure that was on this organization. They were under an extreme amount of pressure going into this draft to get it right, so to speak. To make the selections that made sense at the time they were making them. Obviously, in the first round, getting Devontae Smith uh, was a a big-time move for this team. And people were very pleased uh, about that on Thursday night. And, you know, with the recent draft history that has happened the last couple of years, how it has all played out with Jalen Rager and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and Andre Dillard, even though Dillard, I, I think the jury's still out on a little bit. And I, I honestly feel the same about Jalen Rager, that this team needed to have a strong draft, that they needed to come out of this draft with players that were going to fit and were going to uh, make an impact in the long term. And when I look at the, to, the at this draft in totality, I believe they did that. Now, it will obviously take a long time for us to adequately judge this. I always think it's funny when we give these draft grades out um, the night of day number three when we don't know any of this is going to play out. Like, two years ago, 2019 draft, I don't remember at the time, that being a draft that was controversial. I mean, last year, people hated that draft immediately with Rager and Hertz and everything that went on there. But 2019, the Eagles draft 
Dillard, I didn't, I don't remember that being a real controversial trade up and pick. Uh, Miles Sanders, people were excited about. I don't remember a lot of opposition to the J.J. Arthega Whiteside pick when the Eagles made it in 2019. So evaluating these things right now is very difficult to do. And the honest answer is nobody knows how this is ultimately going to pan out. But as we evaluate it and as we look at it, I believe the Eagles did have a strong draft. Um, I really like what they did in a number of areas. And the Devontae Smith pick, tremendous. To do what the Eagles did and how they did it was masterful by Howie Roseman. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, and I know a lot of the opposition. A lot of the opposition to the Eagles draft, I kind of just tune out because it doesn't matter what they do. I mean, the Eagles could have came away with with guys who were projected to be first-rounders in the fourth round, and, and people wouldn't have liked it because it's Howie Roseman making the picks and people don't like Howie Roseman. I I understand that. But the way Howie Roseman navigated that first round was masterfully done. When you look at where they stood at six, you move down from six to 12. You end up basically trading uh, a third round pick, number 84 in the draft to move back up for a first round pick next year. And you get the guy that, in my mind, I think the Eagles would have just taken it six anyway. I don't know how you can be opposed to that. Like, the way Howie navigated that first round, the way he projected things to go was clearly the right projection. I know a lot of people wanted them to stay at six because of the possibility they could end up with either Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. You know... Uh, Our buddy Mike in South Philly had had been very upset about the Eagles taking themselves out of that possibility to get one of those guys. Well, how he evaluated the situation correctly. He thought that Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase were going to go before six. They did go before six. The Eagles trade down. They end up getting Devontae Smith, who I think is better than Jalen Waddell anyway, and I think will be a better receiver at the NFL level anyway. That was a tremendous job by Howie Roseman, and to, you know, not just the trade, obviously, don't want to overshadow the fact that the player, Devontae Smith, is a dynamic player. You're talking about the most productive player in all of college football last year. Over 1,800 yards receiving, 23 touchdowns. The year prior, over 1,200 yards receiving, 14 touchdowns. This is a dynamic player that I don't worry about the size. I don't worry about the health. This is a guy that's going to be extremely productive at the NFL level. You know, when you talk about the size, um, the Eagles had a guy, and no, I'm not referring to Sean Jackson, actually. I'm referring to Darren Sproles, where Darren Sproles is one of the smallest players in the history of the NFL. In 2017, yeah, his injury started. He played a hell of a long time in the NFL prior to that and did not really deal with a ton of injuries. And if you know how to protect yourself, if you know how to play the game of football the way it's supposed to be played, you can many times keep your body out of harm's way. Some injuries are clearly going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. But uh, Devontae Smith is a guy who's been durable in college. There's no reason to think he's just going to come into the NFL and all of a sudden be this injury-prone player. So I absolutely love that pick. The Eagles got off to a tremendous start Thursday night. Devontae Smith is going to be a home run, in my opinion. Not even, we'll get to later, 
all the things that he is going to do for everybody else on the offensive side of the ball, how he's going to help Jalen Rager, how he's going to help Jalen Hurts, how he's going to help Miles Sanders, how he's going to help Nick Sirianni. Like, it is a home run for the Eagles to get Devontae Smith at number 10. And by the way, you know, screwing over the New York Giants in the process is just such an added bonus. So uh, the first round pick, I don't know how you can have much of an issue with. Day two, we will talk about, but I'm okay with it. And if you disagree with the pick of Landon Dickerson, and that's really the the choice here that has garnered the most criticism, I'd say, uh, as the Eagles have moved through this draft process, and I get it. Like, I understand why you would be, you know, down on the Dickerson pick or why you would be concerned about that pick. There were a lot of good defensive players on the board. And to be honest with you, I would not have taken Landon Dickerson there. I would have taken one of those defensive players. I really like Christian Barmore, the defensive lineman from Alabama. I thought he would have been a a really uh, good fit to fill a long-term need as a guy who can be that third defensive tackle behind Fletcher Cox, behind Javon Hargrave, and turn into a starter when Fletcher Cox moves on. Uh, Trayvon Morig, the safety from TCU, I really liked a lot. Obviously, Asante Samuel Jr. Like, uh, there were a lot of defensive players on the board there that were interesting prospects, and I would have probably gone that route. But with the Dickerson pick, I, 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 I understand it. And if you're up, if you're worried about the injuries, I get it. But there's a lot of upside, and I don't disagree with the overall philosophy. Like, the overall the overall philosophy of drafting an offensive lineman uh, and building through the trenches, I like. Then you see what the Eagles did, drafting a lot of guys on the defensive line with um, Milton Williams and Marlon uh, Tui Piloto. I hope I'm saying that name right. I'm not sure exactly how I'm saying, if I'm saying that correctly. Um Teron Jackson, the DN from Coastal Carolina. Patrick Johnson from Tulane. Now, are all these guys going to be difference makers for you? No, of course not. But this is a team that needed help on the line, and they took some some chances here to get defensive linemen who hopefully can slot in there. And you look back at 2017, and part of the reason the Eagles were so successful, it was because they had a lot of guys who could play, a lot of guys who could rotate in, a lot of guys who could rush the passer. I like that philosophy. They address the secondary with Zach McPherson, Jacoby Stevens, and then they add a really interesting running back in uh, Kenny Gainwell, the running back from Memphis. And they filled a lot of areas where this team had needs in the long term. And what I liked the most was the fact that I didn't feel like the Eagles were reaching in a lot of areas here. Like, you can make the argument they reach for the Dickerson pick. And I get it, but this is a guy who would have likely been a first-round selection had he not dealt with the injuries. Now, could they have traded down, maybe gotten him 10, 15 slots later, uh, potentially? But, obviously, this is a guy the Eagles rated very high, and what encouraged me more than anything, and this is what I said last week, when we had talked about the draft, And we had discussed 
what did you want out of this draft? And what I wanted was the Eagles to stick to their board. I wanted them to trust their own process and get the best player. Don't worry about position. Don't worry about need. But draft the guy that was the best player. And Howie Roseman said that was something the Eagles focused on heavily in this draft. Here is Howie after the draft on Saturday. I think that when we start talking about this draft, I know you guys are going to talk about the things that maybe uh, you look at our, our depth chart and see that we didn't address. But we wanted to stay true to our board. We wanted to make sure that we weren't drafting for need, that we were drafting for what we felt was the long-term interest of our football team. And uh, I think any time that we were in the draft room over the last couple of days, and Andy can confirm this, we went back to that. We went back to uh, where, we, where the guys were on the board and making sure that we weren't missing opportunities to get players that were higher graded. We don't start playing until September. There's a lot of work to be done on this roster. That's an everyday process. Uh, that doesn't end today, uh, and it really won't end uh, up until really the trading deadline uh, uh, when we have opportunities to add to this team. So we'll continue to try to do that. Uh, we'll look forward to those opportunities, and just really appreciative and thankful of, of what we did this weekend with the people we did it. So thank you again. And, you know, I, I think it it makes a lot of sense. And it that was the most encouraging thing to me, that the Eagles did learn, in my mind, from many of their mistakes, where we talked about the mistakes they've made in the past. And so many of their mistakes have been trying to force a need. Like with Jalen Rager, they wanted a fast guy. So they took a guy that was fast instead of a better player in Justin Jefferson. With J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, they wanted a, a big-body guy who would take over for Alshon Jeffrey. So they took a big body guy instead of taking the best player or a player at the position that they needed uh, or, or, you know, they take a p- player at a position that they, they needed, even if he wasn't the best. And that was a problem. And, you know, with all the stories that have come out, all the reporting, all the negativity surrounding this team, one of the most important things, the most important thing going into this draft was that the Eagles were introspective, that they learned from their mistakes, that they adjusted and they saw where they went wrong and they they corrected it. And that's what I think they did in this draft. To stay with their board, to not force a selection. Like uh, the outrage, like how he mentioned there, the outrage about them not drafting a corner. I like the fact that they didn't force a pick on a corner that they didn't think was better than the players they drafted. If you want to disagree with the players they drafted, sure, you're you're welcome to that opinion. And I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I mean, we'll, we'll, time will tell, and we will see how it all plays out, certainly. But the fact that the Eagles stuck to their board got back to what made them successful which is taking the best player, building through the lines, and doing what they felt was the best move, not for 2021, but for the future of the organization. It's encouraging to me. And it shows me that in so many ways, and you could see it all over the Eagles offseason, that they have learned from the mistakes they've made in the last couple of years. And that they have changed course. And I loved what they did this weekend. It gives me a lot of hope for the future. I like the defensive linemen they drafted. I like this approach to getting back to building through the trenches. And I think the Eagles potentially um, 
you know, got some some big time difference makers that they can build around for the future. I mean, obviously Devontae Smith, Lynn Dickerson is the big question mark, but um I don't necessarily disagree with the philosophy, and we'll talk about that more in the next segment because I know Landon Dickerson is a pretty controversial pick. That's the one that's outraged people and got people upset, so we'll discuss that pick a little more and why it it made sense when we get back. But I want your thoughts on the draft this weekend overall. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. If you would like to join the show, but want your thoughts on the draft, what did you think of the Eagles this weekend and your big takeaways from the draft? You want to talk about more big picture draft stuff with the NFL and everything that happened in the league. Would love to hear from you. Open line, start the show. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. With you on a Sunday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. What's your thoughts on the Eagles draft? And, I mean, what's really, I said it during the crossover with Ricky, what's been, in my mind, a great offseason for this team. And, you know, you can hate on it if you want. You can continue to to bash Howie for the mistakes of the past if you if you want. And, if that's the way you want to want to view it, I mean that that's fine. But I, I mean, I look at it as as we can only evaluate what's being done now, and we can litigate the past as much as we want. And have there been mistakes that have been made? Yeah, obviously there have been. And Howie is certainly culpable for that. As are Jeffrey Lurie, as are you know Doug and Carson, and everybody that was here last year is responsible for how poorly that season went. But you look at how this team is now positioned moving forward beyond 2021. They basically have the flexibility to do whatever they want with the amount of draft picks they have three first round picks next year, the salary cap space that has been opened up by getting rid of Carson Wentz's contract. More contracts will come off the books next year. I'm sure they'll, they'll open up more money. I mean, This team has the resources to rebuild things very, very, very quickly. And when you add a guy like Devontae Smith to jumpstart that offense, you add through the lines like the Eagles have. Um, It's really encouraging. And it really makes me feel like they were introspective. They did the the self-scouting, the self-evaluation they need to do this offseason to change the way they were doing business, which we all knew was necessary. And I think they had a good draft this weekend. And obviously this Landon Dickerson pick is really the one that's being looked at as controversial. And we'll get to that more in a minute. And why the philosophy makes sense. I certainly think if you are worried about the injuries, that's absolutely legitimate concern. And I have my own concerns about it as well. But the upside in my mind of Landon Dickerson uh, makes it a worthwhile risk that I, I think you can certainly understand why the Eagles took it. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. 215-592-9494. Get started on the phones with Jim in Dallas. What's up, Jim? Hey. Hey, Jim. How are you? Hey, Tom. Good. Tom, how are thanks, you? For take, thanks for taking my call. No problem, man. Hey, uh, I'm living behind enemy lines. Bad enough. I get it. <laughs> but, um, hey, I have a big question for y'all. 
Sure. Yeah, we had we had four six rounders, two seven rounders, and I was looking through the back history on who we've picked in the last three years as six and seven rounders. My question to you is: There's a crazy thing I have not heard lately. Nobody's bringing up the name Zach Ertz. You have four six rounds, and if we are truly going to use this year as a building year, why would we not trade all four six rounders, two seven rounders, based on our history? And then Zach Ertz as a package to move up if we have three first-rounders next year, maybe even do a second or third-rounder next year. Why would we not make the move? I mean, why did we sit on our hands and draft an injured guy in the second well, round? Well, well, what trade did you want, Jim? Why, so you? But why do you think what, – what do you think here? Four six-rounders and two seventh-rounders and Zach Ertz is going to get you into the first round? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you think? No. What did you want to get? No, what I'm saying is to at least move up. If we have three potential first-rounders for next year, right? why don't we move up and, and stockpile for the future? Okay, if this year is truly a rebuilding year, my question is why don't you use some of that stock and some of the other trade? You know, why would you, why would you draft a second-rounder who's already damaged goods for at least one more year? Fine, I get it. He's very talented, no question. But why would you not use some of your stock and earth if he's already gone? I don't know, but maybe. He's not. He's why under contract. Not? He's not gone. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I've, I've been hearing he's. I've been hearing he's basically going to be shuffled off. So, all right. Well, if he's not going anywhere, then fine. Maybe. Hope, ho- hopefully, I, I look. I'm an Earth fan anyway. Let him stay on board. I love him. So let's go. Yeah. No, Jim, and I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call. I mean. The thing is, like, trading late-round picks, that's not going to get you anything substantial. I mean, you can trade – like, the Eagles ended up moving, I think, two six-rounders and got a fifth-rounder next year. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing you're looking at with those late-round picks. Um, And as far as the Zach Ertz thing, I mean, how he talked about it, um, Zach Ertz is under contract. And I I said last week – I've been saying for for, – I feel like a couple months now. Why why are we just so resigned to trading him? Like, I don't believe trading Zach Ertz at this point makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, I, I'm glad the Eagles didn't trade Zach Ertz. Um, they don't have to trade him. The whole point to trade him initially was to get under the salary cap. You're under the cap. So at this point, if the best offer you're getting, and do I think the Eagles would have moved Zach Ertz for the right price? Sure I do. But obviously, they weren't getting offers that they deemed to be worthwhile. Like, And why am I trading Zach Ertz for a fourth or fifth round pick when I can just hold on to him and he can play for me next year? Like, I don't I don't understand this idea that Ertz had to go. Um and obviously he doesn't have to go, and I think the Eagles made a, a good calculation in holding on to Zach Ertz. Um, and, you know, you talk to him, you let him know that you want him to come back and help be a leader for this team, and I don't really know what choice Zach Ertz has at this point. Um, maybe the Eagles get a deal in training camp for a pick next year, and if somebody comes calling uh, during – during camp with a third rounder next year. I mean, maybe you think about that, but I don't know, Dan. I'm not in a rush to trade Zach Ertz right now. I'm not in a rush to trade him. The whole point, as you mentioned, was to try and get under the salary cap. The only argument I would accept is Zach Ertz is likely not on this team. Like, 
we're talking about this offseason setting up for 2022. You see it with Landon Dickerson. You see it with the Carson Wentz trade. That Zach Ertz will probably not be good or the main tight end on this team two years from now. But you'd be selling on him low to try and trade for a fourth or fifth round pick. I would you know, try and go get his value up, if anything else, and he could go play for you next year. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, and I do think the Eagles, their uh, their their primary view here is 2022 and beyond. But I've said before, I don't think this team is going to be bad next year. Oh, it like, won't be. This NFC East is bad. I think all, they're not a Super Bowl contender. And we no. might have a little bit more fool's gold, like they're still in it in December because the division sucks. But... No, you're right. I don't think this it's a lost season in 2021, but that would be the anti-Ertz argument that I would accept to say that the next time this team is truly good, Zach Ertz will not be the main tight end on this team, so you might as well get something for him. And if his stock were high right now, I would say go do it, but you're probably right. They're, they didn't get good deals or good offers no, for Zach they, Ertz. If they, if they did, he'd be off the team. Right, and it's not worth it. Like, if I'm not getting a, a, top, a top three round pick for Zach Ertz, a day, a day two pick, I'm not trading him, and I think the Eagles did the right thing by holding on to him this weekend instead of making the move. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. And real quick, I want to talk about the Landon Dickerson thing here because, I mean, there was a lot of negative reaction right off the bat to this pick. And I I understand it. I mean, Landon Dickerson, um, an interior offensive lineman from Alabama, can apparently play all five spots on the offensive line and is a versatile guy who who is very talented, but a massive injury history. Four season-ending injuries in college um, out of the five years that he played. But the talent and character of him, along with his talent, you know, all that stuff's off, off the charts. And he is a player who projects to be, if healthy, uh, I the reviews I'm hearing about him are like perennial pro bowler. Like, offensive line guys, I mean, whether it's Brian Baldinger or Ross Tucker, these guys rave about it. I'm pretty sure Ross Tucker called him his favorite player in the entire draft. And I understand the durability concerns, certainly. And if that's why you don't like the pick, I Totally get it. I have my own concerns about that. But the general philosophy, I agree with. Like, going into that second round, um, I think the general assumption was, okay, the Eagles got to go defense here. They got to take a defensive player. They got to take a corner. You know, they got to take a, a safety or the linebacker from Notre Dame, um, a, a D lineman. But I, I thought this entire time, I didn't know if Dickerson would be the guy. I absolutely thought offensive line was a possibility for the Eagles there. Just look at their history. This is how this team has done it when they've been successful. And I don't disagree with the philosophy of drafting offensive linemen years out. Because you got to get ahead of that problem. That is an area that you need to stay ahead of. And you cannot, you cannot fall behind the eight ball with offensive linemen. Because when you do, you see the kind of things that we saw last year. And it's the type of, of, of situation where people don't like when offensive linemen get drafted because they're not sexy picks, they're not exciting picks, and the Eagles drafted an O-lineman and 
people will scream about, oh, drafting, all they do is draft offensive linemen. But when you don't draft the offensive linemen, you have years like last year, people screaming about how bad the offensive line is. Like, you need to consistently be adding to that spot on the roster so you don't have situations like last year where you're playing a guy like Matt Pryor and you're playing players who don't belong on the field. And it's why, in theory, I don't disagree with the philosophy. Is Dickerson is obviously drafted, in my mind, to be the long-term Jason Kelsey replacement, where Jason Kelsey, whether it's after this year, whether it's in two years, moves on, he will slide into that spot. But in the short term, he will serve a role. I mean, Brandon Brooks, Brandon Brooks has shown in the past he can come back from serious injuries. He's done it um, a, a few times. But at some point, you know, that's going to run out. And at some point, Brandon Brooks will not be able to come back from those injuries. He's short-term Brandon Brooks insurance, short-term insurance on the interior of the offensive line, and potentially a long-term solution in terms of a replacement for Jason Kelsey. And I I get it if your concern is the injuries. Like, if that's your worry and that's why you don't like the pick, then, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue with you on that. But the idea that the criticism that I've heard that, that you don't like the Eagles taking an offensive lineman because they had needs on defense, that I don't agree with. Because this is not a team that should have been drafting for need. That's the kind of thing that has gotten them in these situations the last couple of years is drafting for a specific need instead of drafting the guy they think would be the best football player. And I was happy to see them get back to drafting the guy that they thought would be the best football player. Don't worry about your specific need. You'll figure it out. But the draft is about getting the best guy at each slot you draft at. And if you move up, you know, you uh, a player like Devontae Smith, you see worth it to move up for. You move down. You like a guy like Milton Williams. You can get him a few picks later. You take him at 73. But the overall philosophy of building through the offensive line and, and drafting insurance to that position, even if it doesn't fill an immediate need, that I agree with. The injury history, though, I will concede with, with Landon Dickerson is certainly is certainly concerning. And if that's your worry, and that's why you don't like the pick, I get that. But if you just don't like the pick because the Eagles had defensive needs and they took an offensive lineman, um, that I don't agree with at all. Because overall, drafting offensive linemen and solving those offensive line problems years ahead of time is usually a pretty good philosophy. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Very excited next segment to talk to our draft expert, Tony. I really want to know how Tony feels about this draft from the Eagles' side of things. Uh, we'll talk to Tony next. And I also got to get to the Phillies, who have had a couple very entertaining games with the Mets this weekend. Very frustrating one on Saturday night. Uh, in which the umpires botch another game, which has been the umpires have been way too big a story at this stage of the MLB season. There's there's no doubt about that. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four open lines if you want to get in. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on this Sunday morning talking about the Eagles draft. And I was very interested when the draft concluded, um, you know, I'm seeing all these report cards. Everybody gives out the report cards for the draft. And um, there was only one person. I was really interested in hearing his report on the Eagles draft and Dan, I, I think you know who this is our draft expert Tony. I was I was hoping Tony would call in tonight because I got to get his take on on all things Eagles draft. Well, there's two people you want to hear from: Tony and Weave, of course. Weave, yeah, Weave. We got to get his draft report card. I actually point. thought Weave did a good job evaluating the Devonte Smith pick. It was a great call the other night. It was. It was. But no, I'm I'm interested to hear Tony too. I was talking to him a little bit in the break. Okay. So you, you, um, I think you'll like this. I don't think he got a lot of uh, – the Eagles got a lot of the guys he was giving me, but we'll see. Uh, Tony, what's going on, man? What What are your thoughts hey, on the uh, – Okay, how Eagles you been doing? Good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, everything is okay. I know you got that, um, that vaccine, vaccine. I hope you're doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing and, well. I didn't know. feel great the day after, but I'm doing fine now. Yeah, that's that's good, man. I'm glad because I decided against it. So you, maybe you can encourage okay. me to go get it. Yeah, I mean, you know uh, – you know, uh, uh, Feel good and and yeah, I I I I would I would personally recommend it, but you know you're cool. That's great. I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm up in the air. Um, for first, let me say that I had to get my personal feelings out the way, and a lot of my guys were on the board when 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 it came time to pick, and I'm like, what are they doing? And when I seen the scout thing, which yeah, I mean he disrespected Donahoe. Like, come on, man, give the guy a pick. You know, uh, and that guy was on my board, too, Aaron Robinson out of UCF. He was right there. Milton Williams was on my sleeper list. He should have went in the fifth or sixth round. Nobody was running to get – the kid is a beast. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. Now, the well, first the, the, round the, – the, the thing I saw, Tony, I think it was Dane Brugler of the athletics list. He had Milton Williams ranked 70th, so – you know, wow. that that tells me that Milton Williams went about where, where you know, he could have gone. I mean, I don't think well, it was a terrible pit, uh, reach there. You're right, us. and he's a he's a monster. He, he needs a little bit of technique work, a little bit of stiff on the upper body, but he's a beast. Okay. And also, let me just say, Landon Dickerson, I was concerned about his injuries. I, I was going for Creed Humphrey in, like, the fourth round, but I'm glad they got the best center. So in that regard, I'm happy. Asante Samuel Jr. was there. A lot of other people were there. We could have grabbed, no, including. My, I'm to- sorry. Go ahead. No, Tony. I was just going to ask you. I've heard. I heard Brian Baldinger compare Landon Dickerson to Quentin Nelson. Do you see any any legit comparison there between those two? Uh, yeah, he's a monster, man. He, we yeah. talking Pro Bowl. We talking about multiple Pro Bowls and um and multiple awards. If he can stay healthy, right. The guy is a brick. He he can't move him. He's too he's too big. He's a monster. He's a machine. But the question is, is his knees right? So is he okay from the ACLs? Other than that, they got the best center on the board. So I'm okay with that. Now that I settled down, I'm okay with that. The third round pick, they should have picked Jabril Cox. He was sitting right there. And the fourth round, they could have had Aaron Robinson, who the draft guys actually wanted, but. You know, they picked Milton. They could have got him well, what, in the fifth round. Well, what do you think of this kid McPherson, uh, Tony? You like him at all? I, I like him. He can play, and he can hit, and he's fast. 
I didn't know anything about him, really, because, you know, I was going for Andre Sisco, who was still on the board. Yeah, I was thinking I was about him. When he went, Paris Tony, Ford. I was thinking about you. Yeah. But then I appreciate that. Paris <laughs> Ford sitting right there. You had the Syracuse receiver. I'm, I'm sorry, the Syracuse cornerback. And also you had multiple other cornerbacks that were better. But I didn't know a lot about him. When I seen his tape, he's tall and he's fast and he can cover. So they got somebody there. Now, I didn't know a lot about him, but I like the pick. Another guy I want to ask you about, I'm hearing a lot of excitement surrounding this guy, Tony. Kenneth Gainwell, the running back from Memphis. What can you tell me about Oh, him? yeah, he can he can float, man. I, I heard a little bit about him. I watched a little bit of tape on him. He wasn't my pick. I wanted Master T, but I like him. He's fast, and he got a burst, and he's hard to tackle. Okay, sounds good. Well, how how about this, Tony? You wanna you wanna take uh, t- take the night and and then give me uh over the next couple nights whenever you can call your thoughts on the next yeah, couple picks here. Def- definitely. Let me just say they got my man Jacoby Stevens. Yep. They at least did me that favor. You you hear that, Mike? They got my man Stevens. <laughs> I told you, and also they announced him as a safety, but the Eagles are going to put him at linebacker. Yeah, they're going to play him at linebacker. So, all right, Tony, we'll talk yeah. to you later this week, and you can give us. All right, take care, y'all. All right, take it easy. So, yeah, we got it. I mean, we we got to spread Tony's thoughts out, give him enough time over the next couple nights here. But yeah, this Tony and Mike Angelina rivalry is is really they have a rivalry? something I enjoy. Yeah, well. Tony, that wasn't really a shot, but Tony's taking a couple shots at Mike here and there, which I, I'm fine with. I mean, I has Mike chimed back? No, not really. I mean, Mike's for, kind of for to mild be a true guy. rivalry. I think Mike has to chime back at him, though. Really, the only person that Mike will rip on the air is me. Like other than uh, that, Mike <laughs> really does, doesn't rip anybody sometimes when he's when he's load managing, though. Yeah, so so um, he'll rip you, but sometimes he still ducks you. Right, but but you know, my, Michael ripped me on the air. I think I'm stuck with him the next few nights. But uh, yeah, so so uh, Tony Tony seems to like the picks. Um, but uh, there are some other guys he would have liked. But um, yeah, and we'll go through all the all the selections later on. But I really I do like the Eagles building through the trenches, and this is something that I mean they. It's what they did when they were successful. And I I see a in this draft, I see a lot of the Eagles getting back to what made them successful. Getting back to what made them successful under Andy Reid and getting back to uh, the 2016 draft. I see a lot of similarities where you know, they they draft Wentz in the first round, but see, it's kind of a similar thing. Like they trade up in the first round to get their guy. They go up, get Carson Wentz, obviously different than going up to get Devontae Smith, but you go up and you get the guy that you targeted, the guy that you wanted. You look at the rest of that draft. You know, not the sexiest picks, Sayamalo and Vitae, but look at look at what those guys panned out for you. And that's that's why offensive line is so important, is nobody was excited when the Eagles drafted Vitae in the fifth round in uh, 2016. I certainly wasn't. It, it, it was a, a very scary story. Not scary, but I was doing updates, and uh, the Eagles had drafted Vitae, and I had an update in like 30 seconds, and I had no clue how to say this guy's name. I totally butchered it. I I wish we still had the audio from 2016. I don't. Think and you didn't did. know Big V was the nickname yet, right? 
And I, you know, when you're doing updates, you try to be a little more, you know, newsy and professional. Sure. And you're like, ah, this guy, Vitae. <laughs> you seem Hol- like you have a good update voice, Dan. You well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I've never had the opportunity to give it a try. I did it a little bit yeah. in college. Okay. But you're right. I don't know how I would have come across with Halapulivati Vitae yeah. in 30 seconds. I had no clue how to say And some that. of those updates, like, you got to be fast. Like, just read it off the screen, give it your best shot. Right. Well, I mean, I was trained by the best in, in Rob Cherry, but of course, um, Vitae, like th- that pick helped you win a Super Bowl. You don't win a Super Bowl without Vitae. And that is kind of my thinking with why I'm okay with drafting uh, depth on the offensive line years ahead of time, because these guys will be useful. We saw last year with the injuries, the Eagles had to play a lot of offensive linemen. They did. And these picks are going to end up being players that are going to play. Now, again, the Dickerson thing, the injury history is concerning. There is no doubt. But I think the upside does make it justifiable. I'll say that. And other than that, I like drafting D linemen. I like building your team that way. And not focusing overly on drafting a corner, I actually see as an encouraging sign. If the Eagles had gone out and forced a corner in – Round three with this Aaron Henderson, who I've seen tape on him. I'm not in love with him personally. Um, If you go out and you force a pick like that, that would have concerned me. That would have been like, okay, they didn't learn their lesson. They're still drafting for need right now. They're still trying to maximize 2021. They're not looking at their long-term issues. But instead, you draft a defensive lineman, and they continue to draft linemen and guys who can Get to the quarterback and do a lot of different things up front. I think that's the way you build your football team. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Bill and Folsom. What's up, Bill? Yeah, you know if they had to just resign Big V, that would have saved them from wasting a couple of really high draft picks. Well, I mean, Big, to, Big V got fifty. Big V got fifty million dollars, Bill. I mean, that, I, I think he got overpaid pretty significantly. I don't think the Eagles could have afforded that. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the, the, the tackle that we kept that gave us all the drama. The the old guy that we Peters or yeah, that was a mistake. Name. Bringing him back he, was a mistake. He, he he's been a, a, a waste, and he was almost making as much. So we didn't really save that much by not signing Vitai. We we could have gotten rid of him three years earlier. Anyway, you you know I worry about Howie being so obsessed with all these acquiring six round draft picks. Just to move up and down, he, he spends so much time on the phone. He's got to be spending more time on the phone with these other GMs, trying to screw them out of a out of out of a, a six round pick than he is analyzing the draft board. I I always bet that he spends more time on the phone than any other GM by a mile. I, why that, is that? Why is that a bad thing? Because it's it. He only got a certain amount of time in a day. He's not. He should be spending the time analyzing the relative merits of all these different picks as the board keeps changing. He, he he's taking his eye off the ball to try and acquire six round draft picks. Well, who who did who didn't they get that you wanted, Bill? Uh, well, from what Ray didn't you said the the, the reason why the, uh, the our top uh, draft. Um, our top scout was so mad is because we moved down three three spots to acquire a six round pick, 
and we lost a, a big cornerback in that spot. Well, that they, tells we me that that tells me that they probably weren't going to take that guy anyway. Like, um, you know, and obviously uh, there was a disagreement there, and the and Tom Donahoe did not agree. But that tells me that you know they all got together, and ultimately they decided they weren't going to take that corner anyway. Well. I just worry about having a GM that's so obsessed with moving up and down and back and forth, up and down the draft board, and not keeping his eye on the ball. As far as I'm concerned, that's a huge mistake on his part, constantly trying to acquire an extra draft pick here and there. It doesn't amount to anything. Most of these six-round picks are going to get cut anyway. Yeah, no, I got you, Bill, and I appreciate the call. I mean, the Eagles did trade two six-round picks for a fifth-rounder next year, and I know people don't like, you know, the trading and, and stuff. I mean, I I think it's 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 useful. I mean, you look at the fact that, according to most of the draft experts, which I am not, like I don't claim to be a draft expert in any sense, apparently next year's draft is supposed to be much deeper than this year's draft is, so trading two six-round picks for a fifth-round pick next year um, – I don't think it's a bad way to go, uh, but we'll get to the Donahoe thing when we get back. I, I I know we have gone too long without getting into this already. We'll talk about it when we get back. Also, I see Mike in South Philly's there. I want to talk to Mike uh, and see how Mike is feeling after the Eagles draft because uh, the fact that they didn't have an opportunity at Jamar Chase, uh, I want to know if, if Mike feels a little better about Howie. I would guess not, but we'll see. Um, but we'll talk about all that stuff when we get back. Also see Jay's on the line. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. And we have gone too long without talking about the big story of the weekend because it, it really, it, it what would an Eagles draft be without some sort of controversy and it's so funny because this is the exact kind of thing they were trying to avoid this weekend is they I I honestly do feel like the Eagles wanted to get out of this draft with just minimal you know criticism and just just minimal controversy just get out of the draft you know you get the guy people want in the first round Devontae Smith have kind of a boring draft and then comes Friday night and regardless where you stand on the Eagles front office, where you stand on Howie Roseman, the video is objectively hilarious. Like it is, it is pure comedy. Uh, Like you always see these videos where they show guys going around the draft room and everybody's celebrating and fist pumping. And this is generally the way it's supposed to go. I've obviously never been in a war room, but from what you hear, you have disagreements, they get flushed out and come to a consensus. Once the pick is made, everybody moves on, you go about with your with your draft. Well, Tom Donahoe, senior advisor for the Eagles, clearly was not over the fact that the Eagles now I believe Howie had said, I don't know if we have the I don't think we have the sound, but that Howie had said this was because the Eagles traded down from 70 to 73, and there was a player that Donahoe had wanted in that range. Um, and I'm guessing it is Aaron Henderson, the corner. Now, 
if you are trading down and not getting a player that you want because you traded down, then yeah, I don't think that's a good trade. My thinking is the Eagles came to a consensus, and the consensus was they were going to take Milton Williams over Aaron Henderson at seven. And Donahoe obviously didn't agree with that. Now, you know, this is captured on video. It is not a good look. You look, there's another vantage point where on the other side of the room, Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator, he's all fired up. He's pumping his fists. And obviously Donahoe was not on board with this pick. And my stance on this is that this is not in reality a big deal. Like, I believe this is something that probably happens in war rooms every year amongst most teams in the NFL. But for this team, it is not ideal that it got out there. And it will absolutely be made a big deal this week. Like, I'm not naive to that at all. Um, I guarantee you, the morning show probably starts with it on Monday. I mean, it probably will be the big story on most shows on Monday. Um, And we'll talk about it here as well. But in reality, I don't think it's a big deal. But it will be made into a big deal. And for this team that was trying to avoid any sort of controversy like this, especially with the stories about having issues with collaborating, um, it's not good optically that it got out there. Dan, uh, what what is your take on the whole Donahoe the fiasco? I don't know if fiasco is a little strong, but the whole video from, from this weekend. It's a big deal because we know about it. Like, that's the only reason it's a big deal. I agree with you. This happens... Every, like on every single pick in the NFL draft, you can't tell me that front offices are always on board. Sure, when it comes to a guy like Trevor Lawrence, I'm sure everyone was on board in Jacksonville with that pick. And they've had months to And they've prepare. had months to be on board with right. it, right? When you get into the second and third round, you're telling me that every single team in the league, everyone's on board when you have offensive guys and defensive guys and you have to decide which one you're going to use it on. You're telling me that all the offensive guys are on board when the GM stands up and goes, we're going defense here? Well, absolutely not. And in this particular case, the only reason it's a big deal is because we know about it and everyone at the station and everyone around the world and everyone on Twitter knows about it. And now poor Milton Williams has to go his entire Eagles career knowing not everyone was on board with the pick. Right. And it it is a I mean, it's a hilarious video. Oh, it's it's objectively hysterical. it, It is great because he couldn't even fake it. Like, he knows he's on camera. He knows ESPN and NFL Network has a camera in the war room. He can't play the, oh, I didn't know we were on thing. Right. I was with my brother-in-law today. He hadn't seen it. I showed it to him. He was cracking up. He thought it was and hilarious. How, how, how his yeah. reaction to the whole yeah. thing is great. He's like, he goes to fist pump him and just doesn't get it. And he's like, what? Well, I think that's 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 how he, you know, knowing the way it works. And normally, you know, people do move on after that pick is made. But what, what And what's going to be part of what's a big deal about it too is right before he goes over to pimp uh, to a fist pump uh i think i said pimp there that's not what i meant but <laughs> yeah. to fist pump donahoe he uh fist bumps uh a, a gentleman who i believe to be the uh 
the infamous Alec Hallaby, and Alec Hallaby looks rather happy. So that's what this will be made into this week. Analytics and scouting, the old school football Versus guy. Versus the new school. Right. You know what it reminded me of? You remember the Seinfeld episode where they're getting the bad shower pressure? And yes. Kramer and Newman are looking for the, the shower heads, and they stick their hands in, and Jerry sticks in his pinky. Like, that's t- that's mm. Tom Donahoe. Yeah. He's like, I guess I'm in, but he's really not on yeah. board with it, and it got caught on camera. That's a, you know, that's good. That, that's uh, the analogy I thought of. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. That's a good one. But, yeah, it's if you want to give your thoughts on that video, it's a funny video. In the end, do I think it means a whole lot? No, I don't. Is it good for the – I mean, d- but – it's certainly not good it got out there for the Eagles this weekend. Um, probably the last thing they needed. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Tom? What's going on, man? Yeah, so, um, you know, my feelings about, uh, you know, the players that I want to decide, I can separate my personal feelings from, you know, objective analysis. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm happy because, you know, whenever you don't get the guy you want, you're not happy regardless. You know, if I were general manager, I would have tried to trade up for Chase. But regardless of that, from where they were picking in the situation that, that they were in, I, I think they had a pretty solid draft. Um, I think the first two draft picks have a chance to be 10-year pros with multiple Pro Bowls. And uh, I, I'm actually, you know, I always call it like I see it. If Howie does something good, I'll praise him for it. I just don't think he's done a lot of good lately, but I think – especially at the top part of the draft uh, with the picks, you know, where they were slotted, they made solid picks. And I actually, believe it or not, I actually liked the Landon Dickerson pick. Okay. Um, I actually would have preferred. Now, obviously this is going, we have no idea what his health is going to be. So there's a lot of hindsight wrapped up in here. You know, if he tears his ACL the first week of the season, right. then, but I think the second most important part of a football team, besides obviously the quarterback, is the offensive line. The quarterback's the most important, so the the second most important thing is protecting that quarterback. And I think that Dickerson is a guy who has, you know, 10-year starter, five-time Pro Bowl potential. I think he's an absolute mauler. I think he's a beast. I think he can play multiple positions, which is uh, versatility is very important on the line. Um, some guys, as we saw with Dillard, are not comfortable playing in other positions. Remember, he was whining about the hand placement. I was like, I, that's, that's when I knew that when that guy was going to be a ball. Right, right, when, they, when he had to play right tackle against Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Dickerson can play all over. I think he's a competitor. He embraces that kind of stuff. He's a very popular guy within his teammates. So he's kind of keeping the trend how, you know, how a lot of, a lot of leaders right now on the Eagles team happen to just be on the offensive line, guys like Kelsey and Lane. I think he's going to kind of take over the mantle there when, when those guys step down. And um, I understand why people are concerned about the injuries. Totally get that. I, I can't dissuade somebody from thinking of uh, that. Um, but if, and I don't know if this is the case, I, obviously we don't have access to their draft board and their war room, but if they graded this guy as an elite offensive lineman and say they graded Asante Samuel Jr. as just a good cornerback, then you take the guy that you grade as elite. Yeah even if it might not be as an immediate need. Because next year, Tom, we might not have Brandon Brooks or Jason Kelsey. They both might be gone. And then you're going to go, oh, crap, maybe we should have taken a lineman. Because while an offensive lineman may not be the bigger need right this second, a year from now it may be. Yeah. No, Mike, and honestly, it's probably the thing about this draft that encouraged me most about this team moving forward is the fact they weren't overly focused on their needs. You know, the fact that they weren't so – uh, you know, focused on we got to get a corner who can start this year, even if he's just going to be, 
slightly above average. Like you said, um, if you have one player on your board at a position of need that you project can be good and another at a position that you're deeper at but can be great, you take the great player and, and you take the great player and, and, and pretty much every time. Obviously, there are certain you know, possible exceptions if you're like a player away. But um, yeah, generally you go that route and, and you look back at that 2017 team. I think every year we get more removed from it. It's clear that team won the Super Bowl because their offensive line was elite. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I just think Dickerson's just a stud. Um, and, and also like, I'm not as worried about injury history with an offense. In fact, the offensive line is probably the position I worry about injuries the least because it's not like he's going to be running routes and cutting and jumping. Like, he's just, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, like, usually, like, when offensive linemen get hurt, it's when somebody rolls up on their leg. Now, I don't remember off the top of my head the, what type of situations he got injured in, in his career. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't remember all the plays. Um, but, I mean, you hope that it's just one of those things where he just had a, a streak of bad luck and he's not, you know, made of mashed potatoes. And, uh, you know, so hopefully he stays healthy. Um, but I do think the first two picks have, you know, 10-year starter, multiple Pro Bowl potential. And, uh, and I, obviously, Devontae Smith is a great player. Um, I think uh, he's the best receiver that they've drafted. Jeez, uh, I think Since he Macklin, certainly has probably. a better college resume than Deshaun Jackson did when he came out and Jeremy Macklin. So, obviously, without having seen him play it down yet, just in terms of what they did in college, he, he might be one of the most talented receivers they've ever drafted in the history of the franchise. Yeah, definitely. And, you, I mean, you look back, Macklin's really the last good receiver they've even drafted yeah. in any <clears throat> round. Um, you know, because uh, probably the best receiver since Macklin they've drafted is, is Aguilar, and that tells yeah. you enough about how much they've struggled there. And I agree. And I, I, I don't know, Mike. Like, I don't want to know what you think about this. Obviously, he had a bad first year, but – I think Smith has the potential to make Rager a lot better as well. Yeah, I mean, um, and I think a lot of that too is going to be what kind of coach Sirianni is. You know, can he right. can he scheme these guys open? You know, a lot a lot of that. Honestly, Tom, a lot of like for example, I said before I think the Eagles could be one of the worst teams in the league this year. But if Sirianni is legit, like if he's a, if he's a, if he's a, a young stud coach, then that could tack a few wins onto their season, and all of a sudden they could be maybe fighting for a wild card spot. Who knows? Um, and then, you know, that, that would obviously affect how Jalen Hurts plays as well. Um, so I think that's going to factor in as well. And until we see what kind of coach Sirianni is, I don't think I can really give an informed opinion on what type of year I think Reger could have. But right. I, I certainly think playing next to a guy like Devontae Smith, assuming he is the real deal like he was in college. And by the way, like, he, he legitimately, and this isn't being a homer, but it's like this is like object like he had one of the best college football seasons of all time for a receiver. Like he had like 120 catches, almost 1900 yards, 25 touchdowns. And in the biggest game in the national championship game, I think he had over 200 yards in the first half and three touchdowns. Remember he, as he pulled like a quad or something, he had to leave. I mean, he was on pace for like over 300, 300 plus yards. Yeah. No, no, he's a monster. And he had a big game against Notre Dame in the, in the playoff prior to that as well. And I mean, you know, I, I get people can be concerned about his size, but bottom line is he wasn't hurt in college. And I'll take a guy who was that productive in that conference uh, any day. I mean, a guy who can put up those kind of numbers in the SEC doesn't do it by accident. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, Doriel Green Beckham. He was big. He was like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He was terrible. Right. Uh, our, our Sega White side sucks. Uh, they're big. I mean, you know, just get open and, and catch the ball. And, and he, by the way, he's pretty long. So, like, he's lengthy. 
Um, so, I mean, it's not like, you know, he, he is like short arms. So like, I think, um, it's, it's not necessarily his height. That's the problem. It's his, it's his build, but you know, I mean, you know, Deshaun Jackson's build wasn't big and, uh, you know, it wasn't, his injuries weren't impact injuries really per se. He had a couple of those, but his were usually soft tissue injuries. Um, so, but I mean, I, I think Devonte Smith has a chance to be really special. I think the other picks, I mean, you know, once you get down past like the third round, it's a crapshoot anyway. Right. Um, but I was fine with the players that they took. It, it wasn't like, I was like, Oh my God, they had to take this guy. Uh, you know, I, I think they did a pretty decent job. Uh, but for that one incident that happened, first of all, I thought it was funny. It was hilarious. I mean, it was because, hilarious. You know what the funniest part of it was? Like, Howie, you know, he had six hands. I'm like, what? And then he stops for a second, and then he yeah. realizes, crap, this is on camera. He looks over at the camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but the thing that I don't get is, right, like, they're obviously, at least you would hope anyway, that they're discussing this stuff while they're on the clock, right? They're debating it amongst each other. Well, if they're doing that while they're on the clock, if they're all debating it with one with the, with one another, then wouldn't have how wouldn't Howie have already known that Tom Donahoe didn't like the pick? Like he seemed shocked. Like remember he went out, he fist bumped him, and then Tom Donahoe said something to Howie, and he stuck his hands out like, "What?" Well, I think like, I think Mike, I, I think there's a general rule, at least from what I've heard, that once the pick is made, you all move on. And I think that's kind of what surprised Howie's. Even if Donahoe had a differing opinion from most of the other people in the room. I think Howie expected that Donahoe, you know, being a professional would move on after that, and he didn't. And, uh, again, I, I think you're exactly right. I think Howie knows there's a possibility this stuff's being televised at all times, and I think immediately he's like, oh, crap, this is not going to be good. Yeah, and you noticed that uh, I don't think Don Donahoe was in there on Saturday. He, I, don't, I think they, they took his keys away from the war room because <laughs> yeah. like, they showed some of the clips of it. Right. And all of a sudden, he's just, he, just, he just happens. Coincidentally, he's missing from the picture again. Right. So maybe uh, Howie put him on, uh, you know, cafeteria duty for that, for that day or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right, though. Like, look, is it a big deal? Probably not. Although it, but when you have that coincide or just come, you know, not too long after the stories from Jeff McClain that, the, you know, that there's a lot of uh, communication issues and stuff like that. You know, it does make you wonder that, like, you know, it, look, you're probably right that they maybe have uh, been introspective and fixed some issues. But at the same time, there's always something in the back of your head yeah. that makes you go, like, Howie's like, all right, this is going to be the pick. And everybody has to go, yes, Howie, that's the pick. And yeah. then, but the deep down, they don't really like it. You know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at? Like, no, I do, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it. Man. Thanks. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing. Like, even on a – like, this – that's what's got to be so frustrating for – the organization is this should by all accounts be a positive weekend. Like there should be positive reaction. To this pick you got Devontae Smith. You got one of the best prospects coming out of college at a position that is exciting, a player that is exciting, that should be great. You know, if people have some issues with the Dickerson pick, okay. People will complain about it a little bit and you'll see, but if he ends up being great, like you think he's going to be, everything's going to be fine. But this is exactly the kind of thing that they did not want to happen. It, it is amazing how the exact kind of, especially with all the, you know, the athletic story and the McLean story, all the things that they were trying to avoid and, you know, temp, temper down and say, this isn't really a thing. Then they get this video. It just couldn't be more of, of, of just poor timing. The only thing that could make it worse is if Aaron Robinson turns out to be really good and Williams turns out to 
just not really do anything. Right. And then everyone's going to be like, T- Donahoe knew what he was doing. Exactly. <laughs> and this is going to live on. But I'm I'm actually with Mike. Like, get on board with the pick. Yeah. Be a team guy. Be a sport. Yeah. You know, don't throw a temper tantrum on national television. Yeah. So it, it is, man, it is, uh, it is, it is, it's it just crazy. This team, it's always crazy. It feels like an on-brand thing to happen this yeah. weekend. Like, it couldn't just go smoothly, right? Some with day two of the draft. I mean, look at last year. The, everything goes wild with the Hurts pick. Well, they had to know that was going right. to happen, though. But it's just... That was planned. Uh, well, that's another thing that Howie said, and this was kind of ridiculous that Howie said. He's like, there could be, you know, a catastrophe going on outside the building. I wouldn't know about it. Yet last year, he said when the Eagles took Hurts, he said, I knew things were going to get a little bumpy. So Pick Howie aside, knows Howie. what's going on. He, like, he knows. And Howie knew going into that press conference that this video was out there and knew And now he he's going to go answer to it because Donahoe couldn't get on board. And he knows that right. that's the first question he's going to get. Exactly. Uh, let's go to Jay in Philly. What's up, Jay? Yeah, how you doing, Tom? Good. How you doing, man? I get hard to be on board with, I guess, when you're working with uh, Howie Roseman. He seems like a guy that, you know what I'm saying, a lot of people wouldn't like working with. I don't know. I just – it's something about him, and you know, like a little uh, a rat or – I don't know. He just has a weasel <laughs> quality about him, Ajit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, um, well, well, I would say there are certainly a lot of people who have worked with him that, that do not like him. Um, and that's okay. clear. I mean, well, Lewis, well, maybe Tom, though, Lewis Riddick, Tom, for, Lewis Riddick for one, you can tell on that Monday night football game with the Eagles in Seattle, Lewis Riddick is not a big fan of Howie and they worked together in the past. So, Oh yeah. Well, I'm not yeah. surprised. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I, it's, I, there's two picks. I didn't, I wasn't a fan of, this is just me, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of taking injured players out of college. You know, I would have went with Josh Myers, the other center, the center from Ohio state. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I mean, this guy may turn out to be good, but I mean, four surgeries, I mean, I, I'm just, you know, we're a rebuilding team. So I want guys who, you know, saying is going to be able to play. I mean, I, I'm not sure this guy, I mean, we, he's a host of the lineman and he couldn't stay healthy in college. And now NFL is even more physical. You got stronger, you know, defensive linemen pushing you and stuff like that. I mean, I hope this guy's w- be wearing thick braces on his ankles and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Because four surgeries, oh, I could see if it was one, but four, like, that that's a little bit alarming right there. So, yeah, no, Jay, yeah, it, that's just me. I just I, I just wouldn't take players that, that are injured, severely injured like that in college. If you got, like, something like a little hamstring or something, right. that, that's not a problem. But, like, you know, that's that's some serious stuff right there. No, it's and, definitely um, – it, no, and it's – I'll let you finish, but it is concerning. But how he did say that – um what he thought was different was an offensive lineman as opposed to Sidney Jones at corner where, you know, corners are more likely to get to get hurt again, I guess. And, you know, Brandon Brooks, I guess if you're looking for some hope that guy that a guy can recover, I mean, Brandon Brooks has had several significant injuries and he's recovered. So that that would be yeah. the hope. But I get why you'd be concerned. Yeah. And the Milton the Williams pick, like I, I heard you had a caller earlier called him a beast. Now, I watch college football, and I was watching, you know, drafts, l- looking at draft sites. I never even heard of this guy. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and I watched his, like, you know, a lot of his highlight tapes, you know, after the Eagles drafted him, and nothing. I, I, I looked at the little scouting thing on ESPN, and they was talking about how his, his frame is undersized and stuff like that. Like, you know, so I don't, 
I don't really know, uh, you know, about this dude. All the other picks I'm fine with. I like the Devontae Smith pick. I like the running back. I mean, Miles Sanders, you may want to watch out because uh, this, this guy right here, I like him more than Miles Sanders coming out of college. Uh, Gangwell right. from uh, Memphis. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, that's that's about it. I agree with Mike, though. I do think this team is going to be terrible, especially defensively. I mean, uh, you see the receivers and tight ends they got to go against this year. I know they got Eric Williams from uh, Minnesota at linebacker, and I tweeted at some Vikings fans about him. They was like, he's the average linebacker, you know, nothing more, nothing less. I, well, he's still better than all the Eagles I think, I think they I think they're going to give up over yeah. 30 points a game, to be honest with you, the Eagles defense. I think they're going to be horrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, Jay. I appreciate it, man. Um, but, yeah, I, I and I appreciate the call. I, I, I don't think they're going to be that bad. Like, I, I – I don't know, like, I don't think they're going to be that bad. I think the corner position is an issue. Now, Howie did say that they have time to uh, address it, and they do. I mean, and again, I I don't like to go back constantly to 2016, 2017, but going into 2017, the Eagles at this point had very little at corner. I mean, going into that, that training camp, I think their starting corners were Jalen Mills, and I don't even I don't even know who the other starting corner was because it ended up being Darby, but they traded. It, yeah, it ended up it was Russell Douglas uh, who ended up being the starting corner. That's right. They traded for Darby in like August. They traded for Darby. They traded Jordan Matthews for Darby, and then um, Darby got hurt week one, and Russell Douglas stepped in and was the starting corner, I believe. Uh, who did they play week two? That, that was twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, yeah. And Rasul Douglas stepped they, in. They so, lost that Chiefs game in KC. Yeah, they lost the Chiefs game, and then yeah, Rasul Douglas, I believe, was the starter. Um, moving forward, so you have time to address it. Uh, what it tells me in the meantime is that in a zone scheme, they believe Avante Maddox can play on the outside at least if they need to. Um, I certainly think they will add a corner, whether that's through trade. They have a ton of picks next year, so they certainly have um, picks to work with if they want to trade for a veteran, which can happen during camp. Um, we'll see how it all plays out, but again, like I'm okay with not forcing a pick. Like If you don't think there's a corner worth taking, and at 37, I think Mike, Mike in South Philly's kind of – the reasoning was, was right on point where if you think Asante Samuel Jr. is going to be a decent player, but you think Landon Dickerson can be an all-pro player, you got to take the all-pro player. And you can't worry about positional need. You just got to take the better guy. And um, generally, I think that's a, a good way to go. Uh, and we'll see. But but I, I like the... Uh, the the way the Eagles went with a lot of these picks, and I like the fact they're not trying to force their needs. 215-592-9494. When we get back, I do need to get to what's happened in the Phillies games the last couple nights. Two very entertaining games. Um, One worked in the Phillies' favor. The other one Saturday night. 
I got to go off again on these umpires. I, I've been doing it all year. I feel like it's gotten worse this year than ever, but we'll talk a little bit about the Phillies-Mets series when we get back. And uh, big Sunday night baseball game coming up. We'll see if the Eagles can get – or the, the Eagles. We'll see if the Phillies can get back to 500 again uh, for like the seventh straight time as they win and lose uh, alter, alternately, I guess. I'm losing my mind here tonight. Uh, I'm saying pimp instead of fist bump. Um, but uh, we'll 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 get to the Phillies when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you until 6 a.m. In the 4 o'clock hour, we will let you hear um, the uh, press conference, post-draft press conference, Howie Roseman, Andy Weidel, and Nick Sirianni. Uh, on Saturday as they address everything uh, that went on this weekend um, in regards to the draft picks. Some interesting things from uh, those three guys uh, as far as the selections that were made. And, one, you know, the more I hear Nick Sirianni talk, by the way, the more I am encouraged. Like, I... And we, uh, obviously, we won't know anything until they actually play um, and they're actually on the field and we see what kind of coach he is, but the guy does seem to know football and seems to have a very good idea of what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, and I really like what I heard from him generally in talking about, like, he doesn't have a specific system and that he will mold his system to the strength of his players because as much as I like Doug, that was not something Doug did very well. I mean, Doug... I think was part of the reason the Eagles drafted a guy like Rager because Doug wanted a guy that would fit his system. And I don't think that's the right way to go. I think you got to adjust and just look at new England. They change constantly. They change from year to year. They change from week to week. And it's the way you got to be to succeed in this league. So we'll see with Sirianni, but the things I hear from him, um, I, I, I am encouraged by, but I do want to talk about the Phillies for a minute here is they are playing uh, three gamer with the Mets this week and Phillies now atop the division at 13 and 14. This wasn't this supposed to be the best division in baseball, Dan. It was. What, what, yeah. What is going and, on here? Uh, the NL least, as I'm calling it, is really taking a page out of the, the NFC least playbook. The difference is the NFC East was not supposed to be good. The NL East was. It's still early. It's only been through April, but the fact that they're they have a share of first place after a month and a day with a below 500 record is ridiculous considering you have teams like the Mets who had a big offseason like the Braves who are a four-time defending NL East champion and went seven with the Dodgers last year no one running away with this division right now so maybe uh someone will just win slightly above 500 it's, it's hope for the Phils yeah you got the Phillies Nats and Mets all tied uh for the division lead right now all a game below 500 and I mean, this series so far this weekend has been very exciting. We'll get to what happened Saturday in a minute, in which I, just a ridiculous, a ridiculous call, um, in which the the Phillies probably uh, got got robbed of a game here. But uh, first, I want to go back to Friday night because I was watching this, and this was great. And this is, I mean, for baseball needs more of this kind of stuff. Um, because you're at the end of April, it's starting to become the dog days of the season, and you need some energy coming from somewhere, and Jose Alvarado provided it after striking out Dominic Smith in a big spot. 
The stretch and the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out 100 miles an hour. The fastball from Alvarado. Your call was correct, sir. That's right. <laughs> no runs. One hit, three left. We're going to the bottom of the eighth. It's a 2-2 game. Well, I don't think that was the the one. Um, but uh, Alvarado had struck out Smith on Friday. Was that the one from Friday night? Um, that, there that might be a the long, There might later. be a longer one. Um, I'll, I'll look for it. Yeah. But Alvarado struck out Dominic Smith. Um, and then fireworks ensued here as uh, they start barking at each other. Uh, Alvarado's yelling at Smith, saying the pitch is down the middle. And it looked like Dominic Smith had uh, complained to the umpire uh, or had asked the umpire, was that a strike? And Alvarado saying, yeah, it was, it was a strike. It was right down the middle. Uh, Smith swings and misses. Then they start jawing at each other. Alvarado's yelling at Smith. Uh, and here's the call of the, of the strikeout. Smith waiting. And a 3-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Alvarado shouting out at Dominic Smith and gets Dominic Smith. And now he throws his glove. It's off to the side. He and Smith are going at it. The benches have emptied. Jeremy Rehack, the plate umpire, is in between the two of them. Now Alvarado pushed back by the rest of the Phillies. A big scrum just to the right of the plate. The bullpens have emptied now as they come streaming out of the pen well this goes back to earlier in the season Alvarado getting yelled at from the Met bench and it was Dominic Smith who did so and Alvarado after striking out Smith was shouting into the air and I forgot about that earlier but yeah that this goes back a few weeks ago where Alvarado had thrown around somebody in the Mets and then Smith was yelling at him and and it's great, and they're yelling, the bench is clear, and here is Dominic Smith after the game on Jose Alvarado. I mean, I don't mind people pimping strikeouts, pimping stuff on the field. Um, I've never been a player like that, um, but I don't mind it. I love it, but, I mean, him pointing at me, coming after me and stuff like that, uh, I mean, I'm a grown-ass man. You know, come meet me then if you really got a problem, and we could really handle it. So that's how I look at that issue. You know, he waited for his team to grab him and stuff, but, you know, I'm right there. And he could meet me in the tunnel tomorrow if he really want to get after it. I absolutely love it. Like, this stuff, this is what baseball needs. Because baseball can be boring sometimes. And you get into they're, they're the newness of the season at the beginning of April. It kind of gets people in. But this is when, you know, I'd say casual baseball fans start to stop paying as much attention. You won't watch every day. You'll check in. You'll you'll check out. But especially Phillies-Mets. Like, this is what Phillies-Mets is supposed to be. Like, we talk about the Eagles rivalries, and obviously their rivalries with the Cowboys and Giants are a huge deal. But from, like, 07 to 09, there was no better rivalry in Philadelphia than Phillies-Mets. It was incredible. It, no, it is. And... It's very rare. It's been a while since both of these teams have been good, and we're talking about the NLE standings. I wouldn't say that both of these teams are good right now, but they're both in it, and they're both they're both anticipating being good. The Mets made a lot of noise this offseason with new ownership. The Phillies anticipating taking a step this year. You have two fan bases that are into it, fans that are eager to get back in the ballpark, and now two teams that are really growing to hate each other. It's great. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and you get and you get that win. And then Saturday night, and this is frustrating. Phillies tied 4-4. Zach Wheeler, um, it was funny. I was out driving at the time listening to 
the top of the first. And whenever L.A. just gets irritated, he just goes off. And he was very irritated um, that uh, the play that McCutcheon didn't make in the first was ruled a double instead of an error. And that is stupid. I mean, when they, they, they get LA guys has, hits for everything. L.A. has been – so I've been cutting audio a number of days here. He has been on the scorers, at home especially. Well, I mean, th- th- it's ridiculous. But it's I a mean, continuous thing. Like, bro- this isn't the first time or the second. Oh, no, this is this is years This long. is going years long. But uh, yeah. he, he is, like – furious this year as much as any yeah. at the scoring. So he's going off on that. Wheeler struggles in the first, gives up four. But the Phillies fight back, tie the game, and then just a ridiculous, a ridiculous call where Andrew McCutcheon's run second base. Lindor fields. It tries to tag him. Can't. Throws the first. Runner's safe. And they rule McCutcheon out of the base path. McCutcheon was not out of the base path. The Phillies would have had two runners on with one out in the seventh inning. Instead, a double play to end the inning. And in the end, Conforto ends up homering off Hector in the ninth. And Hector Neris, man, he, he like, I, I like Hector Neris in general, but this happens too much. It just happens too much. Um, but the Phillies should have had an opportunity to win that game. And I don't know. if Is this, is this Dan, something that, is it just me? Or have the umps been especially bad this year? It's So like, I was telling Ricky, it's never a good thing when the umpires are the headline of a game. And it's happened a few times here. And for what it's worth... I feel like it's every week. For for what... Well, you had the Conforto play up in New York. You had... And this is the second time the Mets have benefited from it, by the way. I was saying to play contrarian, the Phillies have now benefited and gotten screwed. Like, Alec Bohm did not touch home plate. Right. And that was a reviewable play. And that was the umpires stealing the show, and but they still—that's another it one, right? That's an, so the bone play, the Conforto play. There's this play. There was. Did you see the play just in the, the Brewers gen- game just, the other night? Uh, no, I did not see that. Oh, I got to show you this video during the break. It was a horrendous. They said that there was. It, it, what was it? That the runner went out, not out of the base path, but that there was obstruction on the fielder, and they ruled the guy safe, and it was a, a horrible call. So that's another one you didn't even know about. No, there's been like four or five really bad game-changing right. blunders by the umpires this season. And, and just in general, I mean, they've had C.B. Buckner behind the plate twice. It's like, oh, it's terrible. brutal. <laughs> These guys, like, there's no point anymore. I've said it before. Just get rid of the umpires. Get rid of them all together. Have the automated strike zone, p- safe out calls, fair foul calls, just have somebody in the booth review it, takes two seconds, and have them do it. But these umpires, they are so bad, and uh, it's just terrible. It really is. And and baseball, um, the umpires have been a problem for a long time, but they are getting worse. And it is it is ridiculous because this is the one sport where it should be easy. Like football, basketball, I feel like you kind of need umpires or referees in real time Baseball, you really don't, and it's just it's infuriating to watch them get so many calls wrong. So, I'm not. I agree with you. So there, I would be in favor of expanding replay. I'm not sure if I would get rid of umpires altogether. I, I would. I think they're useless. so. Here, here's where they really did themselves in, right? Ever since every broadcast in baseball has the box up for the strike zone, now you know it's a ball and a strike, and the only one in the entire stadium who can't see like with pinpoint precision, what's a ball and a strike, is the umpire. Right, so why do you need them? Well, so well, you would still need them there because you can't review everything. Like, it would slow down the game even more. I don't more. think it would, though. Like it, For I, safe and out calls, I think it would. I don't think it, well, maybe a little bit, but they review them anyway. 
No, I, but you can't review. But then you would and, be reviewing every and, and single then, play. And then they don't even. But most of them are clear cut. Like you would have the, an umpire out there. So what they've been doing in the minor leagues is you have like a guy with a near piece, and he goes ball or strike based upon what he's told. Right. There are still sometimes technical difficulties. Like there was a pitch that bounced in the strike zone in the minor leagues, and the thing called it a strike, and the umpire has to be like, okay, obviously at the ball. You have routine plays that you have umpires there for, and then you still get to challenge a game for the managers, and that's when you go to the umpire upstairs, the same way you do in every other sport with replay nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even need them. And and the fact is, they're a detriment because you don't even get the calls right because the well, umpires don't want to overturn their own calls. Well, that's so, the ridiculous thing is that you need the umpire has it has to be a umpire separate right. from the umpires union or whatever you want to call it in New York ruling on these things so they don't feel like they're superseding because they want to feel important. I get it. But and that's why they don't want but they, balls and strikes I don't, being taken I don't away. Get but get it right. Yeah. Get yeah. someone in New York to just be like, this is the correct call. Yeah, it's been terrible and it's just getting worse. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Uh Matt and Hamilton will get you after the break. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday morning. Also be back the next uh three nights in for Big Daddy Graham. Uh, let's get back to the phones. Go to our buddy Matt and Hamilton. What's up, Matt? Hey, Tom. How are you? Good. How you doing, man? Good. Uh, I got a quick point about Nick Sirianni. Sure. I just wanted to possibly touch base on the uh, some of the draft picks before I do that. Yeah, sure. Um, the the McPherson. I like I like the um, line the center or who can play other positions. Dickerson. If he's gonna play, if he's gonna play, yeah, Dickerson. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know much about the third-round guy other than Mel Kuyper had just positive things to say about him. That's all I know about the about the kid. And he had nothing negative to say about him. But I was looking at the McPherson tape. Yeah. And he seems like a corner. Like, he originally committed to Penn State. I don't know if you knew that. And then he had to transfer to Texas Tech because Penn State had, like, five corners. Right. Freshman year in front of him. And he was recruited by Alabama and Ohio State. So, I was looking at his tape. He just seems like he's just like quick to the ball. Like he's he's quick to the ball. He makes plays. He has he had multiple interceptions last season. Um, he played in the Big Twelve, but he seems like more aggressive than Avante Maddox would be. Like he might be a better tackler. So and Avante Maddox was taking the fourth round. So I kind of like that pick. And yeah, well, what, what I've what I'm seeing here is that he, you know, what I've seen is that he's pretty versatile, Matt. That he can play inside and outside. He can play in both man and zone. So you know, he he definitely needs to improve a little bit. But um, from from what I read, and obviously, you know, I'm I haven't seen him a ton uh, in yeah. college, but um, you know, from from what I'm reading, it 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 is a pick that is getting uh, some pretty positive reviews. Yeah. So I like that pick, and we got uh, – I agree. And we got the running back, too, which people seem to like. People really like so the running back. Yeah, so we got we got some things that we need. Maybe the cornerback position will sure up a little bit, but we still got some question marks there. But other than that, I mean, before I get to Nick Sirianni, I, I, I understand why they did I, – I called the other night, I said they were like Devontae, mm-hmm. but I understand why they did it. But there is a list out there since the 2000 season of, of – wide receivers under 170 pounds that have been taken that have been at value. The only people at the top of that list are Deshaun, of all teams. Deshaun, Todd, Pinkston, and Marquise Brown are the best. After that, it's a bunch of no-namers. But obviously, he had a great season, a tremendous season. 
Heisman Trophy winning season and broke all kinds of school records at Alabama. So maybe it'll be a different story. But about Nick Sirianni, I think in front of the camera, he might be just that type of guy that just has some uncomfortability issues, especially coming to a new city like Philly. And But behind the, behind the scenes, maybe he's that leadership schematic type of guy that is just going to change change the scene. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah. He, he could be he could be that type of guy that's just going to change things for us in Philly if he if he really can coach schematically and be a leadership in the locker room. Yeah, no, Matt, Matt, I agree. And I think you can't – I don't think you can really take much from these press conferences. Like, this is a guy yeah. who, honestly, I, I don't think he's – has much experience talking to the media. Like I, I in Indianapolis probably spoke once a week and that media is not nearly as, as you know, um, scrutinizing as the media is here. And now you're being the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a much different job. And I think it's something he'll grow into and he'll get better at. But um, yeah, I think behind the scenes when he's just talking football, he will probably be very comfortable in that area and, and get along well with the players. Because when you, when you hear him talk, when he's just talking about about football, he seems very comfortable. Yeah, and he seems passionate, and it's different than Doug. Is the other thing, like, not to say that we needed something different than Doug, but we probably did. But Doug was just like, I don't think Sirianni's even the type of guy like after a season or two that's like telling the media off, telling the fans, you know, in 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 turn telling the fans off, and, and you know, he has controversy with other players. I don't think he's that type of guy. I think. He handles things in a different way, and maybe even just his just the way he handles things is going to be better th- better for this team and better for the organization. And we'll see if Howie and Lori did a good job at hiring him. So I mean, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, I hope I hope his schematics and all that really does work out. I think we got to we got to possibly got our head coach. So yeah, thank you, man. No, appreciate it, Matt. Thanks. And yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And I, I'm I've come around on Sirianni a little bit, and. You know, I was down on the hire when the Eagles made it because I thought that they hired him to fix Carson Wentz. Now, I am much more, uh, you know, positive about it after they move on from Wentz. And hearing Sirianni talk, when you get past the, the you know, if he stutters a little bit or, or seems uncomfortable um, and you just listen to actually what he's saying, the things that he says make a lot of sense and the things that he says – uh, make me feel good about him as a football coach. As we talked about, won't know until they get on the field, but I am feeling much better about Nick Sirianni than I was uh, when he was hired. 215-592-9494. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly. we get back, we'll do a quick update on the Sixers here as they get back to action Sunday after a good week. So we'll do that when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, as I told you earlier, in the next segment, I'll let you hear the press conference. Uh, Nick Sirianni, Howie Roseman, and Andy Weidel talking about the last few days and how everything went down with the Eagles in the draft. But real quick, um, I did want to do a Sixers update here as um, we're heading down the home stretch of the season. Sixers now with, I believe, 11 games left, 10, 11 games left uh, in the season here. Um, nine games left, actually, uh, as they enter play on Sunday, a half game back of the Brooklyn Nets and Sixers starting a three game road trip that I think could determine their season. Now, they're coming off a great week um, where, you know, obviously 
two weeks ago, Sixers lose to the Warriors, Suns, then two back-to-back games in Milwaukee, and things were looking pretty dire. You know, you're missing Embiid for the one game, you're missing Harris for a few games, missing Ben Simmons all week, and, you know, it was concerning. But the way this team bounced back this week, the way they were able to, uh, against teams they should beat, you know, the Thunder and then the Hawks twice, Hawks one of those games without Trey Young, they were beat up. The Sixers to win those games and to win them as handily as they did was important because you were able to manage minutes and now you should be able to play everybody next two nights. And a weird back-to-back here, Sunday-Monday, where you go to San Antonio on Sunday night, then Chicago Monday night, then back to Houston on Wednesday. So an odd uh, four game or three games and four night stretch here. Um, but the Sixers, a half game back of the Nets. The Nets start this critical week for them, where they have back to back with Milwaukee. Um, a, a game one of that on Sunday. Then they play again Tuesday and. This is the area where the Sixers should be able to make up ground. But you got San Antonio, then you have uh, Chicago and Houston. If you can win all three of these games before coming back home, I think the Sixers are going to be in good shape. You look at Brooklyn, two games at Milwaukee, then at Dallas, then at Denver. And Denver is continued to play very well without Jamal Murray. Nikola Jokic, I would say, has solidified his MVP um, trophy for this year, his his uh, top rank in that regard. And um, these next four games are where if the Sixers are going to pull away, get the one seed, it's going to happen right now. Um, and these two games in Milwaukee this week for the Nets, if, we, if you're a Sixers fan, you want uh, Milwaukee to win those games. I wouldn't be worried about Milwaukee jumping the Sixers. Sixers have three-game lead on them, so uh, hopefully the Bucks can take care of business help the Sixers out in a national uh, TV game on Sunday afternoon. Uh, next up, we'll let you hear the press conference. Allie Rosen, Nick Sirianni, and Andy Weidel. That's coming up. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.